Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome back to Disciple Making. I'm Darren Ride here with my friend Tim Beadle. And we are looking at In the Way by Damian Girk, working through some of the contrasts between the legacy church and disciple making movements. And we are in a chapter that describes how people engage with the church. And we looked at the first contrast there about passive attendance versus active obedience. And this is like another, another layer to that. We're looking at, at uh, interaction, knowledge sharing, versus mutual accountability. We're going to need to unpack that a bit, Tim, to make sure we understand. What's, what are we talking about here when we talk about knowledge sharing versus yeah. mutual accountability? Well, maybe I can tee it up, Darren, with, with a few questions. And, and these are more discovery questions. Uh, so, if you, so if the hearers could think, what does it look like when uh, Christians gather together? Uh, like, what is the level of interaction we have with each other type of thing? Uh, what does a typical gathering include and what should it include? Um, in some surveys, the answer is basically are not surprising. They, well, when we get together, we worship, fellowship, look into God's word. And to a lesser extent, you know, we do a bit of service and help those in needs. And all of those would be fine to describe the body of Christ. But I think what we're looking at today is that, that there is really no sense of accountability in terms of, uh, growing together, um, and that's why this, this, uh, and so we settle for just getting more and more knowledge. And what we do with it, however, is totally left up to us. And then there's no sense of uh, walking with someone and, and uh, really holding each other accountable for what we're learning. Mm. Yeah. And I think accountability can be understood in different ways. And some people might hear that and hear a big stick, yeah. you know, and hear, you know, but here's, here's a great little definition, right? Right from page 170 of the book. Accountability means being clear on what you intend to do, and taking responsibility to complete it. In the context of a group, this effect becomes mutual, meaning that everyone participates in taking ownership and supporting each other to accomplish what is in our hearts. Yeah, It's an entirely positive, supportive community activity. Uh, that's, that's really well stated, I think. Yeah, it is. I think the reality of church attendance is that it's very much, uh, like in society, it's, it's very individualistic. Um, you know, we sit back and we decide uh, whether the message was good and churches that have good speakers get to see them have more people because they want to hear the message and get the information and things mm. like that. But but in terms of, uh, I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, we used to uh, put the little marks above our heads on the doorpost to see how we're growing. Right. Uh, but, but spiritually speaking, uh, what, it's not a mechanism, but but within the church today, uh, how do we really see if people are growing spiritually? Is it by the number of you know, weeks they attend every year? Is it because they're faithful givers? Uh, it doesn't really seem that there's uh, any any sense of urgency to hold each other accountable for the cause that Jesus has called us to. Yeah, and, and I mean, you've hit on one of the big challenges, like I guess, of the Christian life, and how do you measure spirituality, and how do you yeah. measure forward progress? And I think uh, we have defaulted to measuring the knowledge metrics, the attendance metrics, the you know those those often passive activity metrics. You know, we we would throw in maybe you know 
person's giving habits, their serving, their, their use yeah. of gifts. And those are not, it's not that they're not a part of it, but I think really when we're talking about disciple making, we have to be talking about obedience and character change. Yeah. I think it, it, it comes down to that in a lot of ways, but those are kind of hard to measure too. Although obedience in an accountable context really can be somewhat measured. Sure, like, like the Bible says, by their fruits shall you know them. So, so that says we are to hold accountable others and then what they're doing. Uh, but I don't know in your experience, in my experience, I'd like for instance, the average small group, we get together, yeah, we really care for each other, we would look after them if they were sick and things like that. But at the end of the average Bible study, um really knowledge sharing becomes the goal of us being together. We're there to study the Bible together. And really there's little focus on applying the knowledge or discussing how it really transforms our life. Uh, we sort of leave at the end of the evening and yeah, that was really good, but we never, we never talk about it again. But we simply go to the next lesson the next week and we'll learn something new. And, and that basically is what knowledge sharing is. Uh, we're, we're all sitting under the authority of God's word. But I think Jesus had something a little different in mind when he sent his disciples out into the world. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the engagement on active mission is a huge metric. If we're doing that or not, it's like the knowledge doesn't really matter if yeah. there's not that that engagement with Jesus on mission. And, and basically the learning feeds into that, but if there's no outflow, uh, nothing's happening. Would it be safe to say, Tim, are we... Are we uh, saying that accountability is so important that we would say without accountability, there's no disciple making? Would you would you go that far? Well, if disciple making is a collective event between people, uh, I, I would actually go that far. Uh, I think if we're um, learning uh, to grow by ourselves, we're not in relationship. Mm -hmm. Then I think um, I, I was just out to lunch with with a dear friend, and uh, he said, you know the the uh, the thing that's helped me grow personally in the last three years is that I got a life application Bible. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's the one with all the little notes on the sides and, and all this. And he says, uh, in, in, in the old days, I just used to read through the Bible, but now I read the Bible, but then I read all these helpful notes that really causes me to have to apply and gives me suggestions on how I can apply it. So, so that, that, that's, I guess, personal, uh, growth into maturity that that's not so much translating in how we act towards others but at least that would be a starting point that when we read the bible mm. uh, we agree that we will only read far enough until we get to a place where there is something that we can apply i know in early years mm. uh, wayne cordero wrote a book called the divine mentor and that's where I was introduced to the SOAP methodology, S-O-A-P, where you'd read the scripture, you'd observe, but then you'd apply hmm. something that you learned, and then you would pray. I don't, I, I don't know uh, how you'd respond to all that, Darren. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that's good because it does move to the point of application. In our in our group, when we do a discovery Bible study, you know, the way a discovery Bible study lands is what will you do yeah, exactly. as a result of this? And you come up with an I will statement. And it's been interesting, Tim, in, in, in our group, and I include myself in this as well, there's a tension there because we're not used to it. Yeah. We, are, we have been trained to take in content, to gain knowledge, uh, even biblical knowledge, without actually planning, even thinking about how we're going to apply it. Yeah. And even some what I would say are very good, quote, Bible teachers on one level 
often never even go to the point of calling for a clarifying application. Yeah. And that becomes, you know, the, the, the picture from physical standpoint, somebody who just eats, eats, eats and never exercises. Yeah. And yeah. that, 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 you know, using your organic, you know, model of disciple making, that doesn't work very well if it's all input. Yeah. And unfortunately for pastors and preachers, and I've been one for over 30 years, uh, we have good intentions when we start off with a sermon. Uh, and we work a lot on the introduction to hook people into the passage. And, and, then, <laughs> and then we unpack it and we give application, or do we? Because usually what happens is we run out of time hmm. and it's very rushed. The conclusion and application are very rushed. And we don't really have any intention on seeing if people really applied it. We're just throwing a few things out there, perhaps, if we have time. Uh, whereas what I get a sense as I read this chapter is that uh, the whole understanding of our relationship with Jesus is that we walk with each other. Hmm. Uh, we're not lone rangers in this faith. And because of that, uh, we learn from each other. No matter where we are in our spiritual world, we can learn from each other. And as, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, uh, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. So, so there's this, I'm learning from Jesus. And if I'm not obeying him, I can't ask you to follow me because I'm not applying what, what I'm learning from the Lord. Right. Right. Yeah. I can't make a disciple if I'm not an obedient disciple. Exactly. It's, it, it's just not going to happen that way. Yeah. You, know, you, you talk about the application taking time. I remember an old teaching, maybe you heard that's the, I think it's seven laws of the teacher. Bruce okay. Wilkinson yeah, yeah. walked yeah. through it. And one of the principles in there, I don't know if it was one of the laws or not, was the idea that application actually takes time. That yeah. that we can front load our, our content so heavy as far as the actual content and the number of points we have, that there is no time or space for application, yeah. but that we really need to dial back in the content to allow for application time in the teaching moment. Yeah. I'd say that, you know, whether it's a, a class or a Bible study or a Sunday morning service, that part of our message needs to be somewhat allowing for some kind of response and application. That's yeah. that's where it gets anchored. Yeah. So in the old days, you know, the average sermon had three points. And now some people, myself included, I try to have one good point and maybe do three levels of depth of maturity. Mm. And, and, and we unpack it at different levels for what it might look like in our life. Mm. And we have, also have to realize that it's wonderful uh, to have information. Information is helpful. Um but unless we posture ourselves to sort of anticipate an application, uh, even if one isn't overtly given, it, it's up to us. Uh, we've talked before about being self-feeders, mm -hmm. that we have to learn how to uh, digest God's word. We should always be looking for something that, that, that we can say, oh, I could do better at that. Oh, uh, maybe the Lord's convicted me in that. And all of a sudden, it, 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 it's something that we look forward to applying in, in the coming week after we leave the fellowship of the body. Yeah. You know, my, my sermon prep changed a little bit when I started understanding the need for application. And, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, blessed to have this book by Haddon Robinson on biblical yeah. preaching that talks a lot about that. Yeah. But, you know, one of the, uh, one of the questions I learned, I learned later on was as you study a passage of scripture, it asks a question. It's a unique question. What's the function of this passage? Yeah. And the point is, how does it hit you? How does it, you know, challenge you? How does it make you feel? But then from that, ask the question, if you're teaching, what are we called to know, feel, and do as a result yeah. of this passage? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and, and wrestle that through. And then when it comes to what's the purpose of a message, this really helped me. And this is from Robinson in relation to the hearer. 
Yeah. What are they supposed to know, feel, and do? Not what am I supposed to say? That's not the purpose. The purpose is how does it play out in the person's life? And thinking that through as we prepare to teach, we can easily do it as we study ourselves to ask that question, I think moves us beyond this, this lack of accountability and lack of application. Yeah, and I think we can't ignore that word feeling. Sometimes uh, knowledge uh, doesn't have to deal with feeling because it, it's head knowledge. But when you get into the emotive part of feeling mm. what God may be sharing, I think that's what generates the motivation to do something about it. Uh, so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a young fellow, so that young, a little younger than me, uh, he's got ALS, um, uh, and he realizes it's a terminal thing. So we talked about faith, and a couple of weeks ago in my office, he, uh, he accepted the Lord. Mm. And and immediately now, I, I, I feel like I've got a real responsibility for this guy, because mm. there's nothing really in the church for him. And, you know, you can put him into Alpha or a small group at some point when it starts, but he, he needs someone to walk with him now. Yeah. And uh, if I just took him to the line of salvation and helped him get across, and that, that's all I had to do because that was the right thing to do, that's only half the job. Hmm. I see the adventure of his new, and I kept using that word with him, that God wants to take you on an adventure. But but th this fellow needs someone to walk with him. And th this is what discipling is all about. And I'm holding myself, and so I brought in others and told them, uh, and so they will ask me, well, well how, how's your relationship going with, with this fellow? But that's where the rubber hits the road, that you have mm -hmm. to obey not only the knowledge part, but the feelings uh, yeah. in terms of uh, what God is doing in you and also what he's doing in other people as well. What does that person need from me? Well, mm -hmm. I know if I obey Jesus, he will lead me and show me how I can walk with him and lead him as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Great story, Tim. I'm so glad he, he crossed paths yeah. with you. You know, just this past weekend, I spoke on eternity. One of, you know, one of being focused on eternity, one of the, one of the eight traits of a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And interesting, that was a message where, where it wasn't about so much, you know, get out there and do something. The message really was about internalizing a truth. And coming to the place where we are a little bit obsessed with eternity, but that then, and then the application is that it then plays out in the way that we live. Yeah. It then plays out in the way we look at our problems, the way we look at other people in their state, and just having the the uh, the atmosphere of eternity around all that we do. Mm. And so the application in that case would be very, very personalized, but it was really about getting people to to feel and embrace the truth in a big way. Yeah. And really in, internalize it. And sometimes that is the application. We need to recognize the internal is uh, what we do out flows from that internal. And so sometimes that's very it important is. as well. Yeah. So so here's the challenge, friends. Um, the average church um, culture is not going to ask you how you're doing in terms of your Christian growth. Hmm. If you turn up on Sunday, if you participate in service projects, if you sing heartily along with the rest hmm. of the congregation, that's basically the expectation. And if you're away, they'll they'll follow up to see where you were. And they'll check up on you. But did it, when was the last time someone really checked in with you mm. in terms of the the journey that you're on? So so that, that that's what I was challenging in this in this uh, section of, of this book in the way that we're going through is that we can just we can just sit down and and, and go with the status quo. But I, I believe Jesus' call to us is to go beyond that and. Uh, you know, when he sent the disciples out two by two, you know, they went out on their little mission trips. When they came back, uh, they had to give account. They had to give account. 
I was thinking today as well in preparation for our time, uh, you know, coming up to Easter, and when you hear this, it's probably going to be well past Easter, but it doesn't matter. There, there's a, you know, in the upper room discourse, and Peter and Jesus are talking, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you know, before the rooster crows three times, uh, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, <laughs> no way. Now, that's not the end of the story. We know that Peter did deny Jesus. But the beautiful reality is in John 21, we see that that uh, Jesus and Peter meet, meet after the resurrection. Yeah. And uh, is it ironic or coincidental that, that Jesus asked Peter three times, uh, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? I think he was holding Peter accountable for, for having the ambition and the motivation to stand, but but really getting down to the brass. Like, do you really love me? Well, care, you know, feed my sheep, take take hmm. care of my lambs. And so part of Jesus' relationship with us isn't just to save us from sin, but it's to really. Uh, through the spirit to sanctify to set us apart and in setting us apart he he, he sets things before us to, to obey him and that's what you know that, that, that obey everything i've taught you uh but we can only show that if we're, we're obeying him uh by how we interact in our own life with him and with others and uh, i think you said before uh, Darren, that uh delayed obedience is no less than disobedience mm. And therefore, um, yeah, th- this one really is uh, gets you thinking, uh, not about how much knowledge do I know? Do I know more than the next person? But am I actually, have I got into a cycle of application and then mm. holding others accountable as I ask people to hold me accountable as well? Yeah, that's so good, Tim. You know, what, one question I often ask when I'm speaking in a church, from t- I ask it from time to time. <laughs> uh, at the same congregation, I say, I'm going to keep asking you this till you get it. I say, once you've come to faith in Christ, what's God's number one goal or purpose for you? Yeah. And it is to make us like Jesus. Yeah. And that has character implications, but it also has action implications. Yeah. And so I, you know, I believe as we engage with scripture, whether it's individually or in a class, a study, a Sunday morning, it is about becoming Christ-like. Yeah. That's, that's God's point. And that has internal and external implications. And obedience really is a good yeah. summary of the whole package. Yeah, and Jesus was quite open and evident in the Gospels that, uh, you know, he communed with his father, got away, spent time with him. And then he says, I only do what I see the father doing, as it were, like like I'm obeying him, I'm mirroring what he has for my life. And you say, well, that's easy for Jesus, because he and God were tight, right? (laughs) But in the Garden of Gethsemane, here we have where uh, there's a struggle, this, this struggle that Jesus wanted to pull away from what he was being asked to do. Uh, he said, do I really, is there any way you can take this cup from me? But but then there's that moment of obedience, but not my will, but thine. And I think that that's at the core, the bedrock mm. in obedience and application that yeah. we don't, we don't put off obedience. And even though it might not be what we would will to do, if we're truly sold out to Jesus as his follower and disciple, uh, we will say, lovingly, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, amen, for sure. You know, that's what we've talked in the past about Romans 12, yeah. you know, offering our bodies a living sacrifice. That's, I think that's where it starts. And if we've done that, in, in a sense, we've made a commitment to obedience, whatever he makes clear to us in the future, yeah. not just obedience for today, but obedience for whatever's coming down the line, that we're in that posture of obedience. And I think that's, that's what it means to be a follower. That's what it means to be a disciple. 
And if we're making disciples, our disciples better see that in us. Yeah, so I'm going to put you on the spot in a second. I'm going to ask you, okay, so what what does God ask you to obey him in, in these days? Uh, but uh, I'll give you a second because for me, uh, this new fellow who's come to faith, uh, I, I'm under conviction now uh, to make sure, not that he, just, he has you know a Bible study book to read, uh, but um, that I am walking with him. Uh, that's how I obey Jesus in this, that I walk with him. And then allow him to walk and grow, just like a baby. You know, you, you teach them how to walk, how to uh, talk, that's prayer, uh, how, how to eat properly, that's feeding on the word of God, how to clean up messes, that's what we do with the babies. And and, 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 that, and that's how I have to obey in this circumstance with this person. With another person, it'll be different. So uh, this is how we can actually uh, grow in our faith. But again, we, we said in the past, so from now on, uh, from now on we, we don't view anyone from a worldly point of view. We see people from God's view and see mm. what they need, and then we obey in yes. doing likewise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so are you asking me a question there, Tim? Was that a question? Yeah, it is. Okay, I gave you a long enough lead time there. So, so what's, asking, what's God asking you to obey him in, in these days, Darren? Well, it relates directly. I already had an answer before you shared that verse okay. about the way we see people. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, in our, in our work on ministry here, we pray for everybody we see regularly and some, you know, begin to relate to us. And you have in your mind a picture of the kind of people and who it might be who might click with you that you lead to faith. But we have an increasing number of people who would be outside the mainstream culture, let's put it that way, who are who are receptive to us and clicking with us and open with us. And I've it's become really clear to me with two individuals in particular that they are in our life for us to minister to them. Yeah. Whether we naturally click with them, even if it's sometimes awkward uh, or risky. And, and that's even, you know, just the other day I had breakfast with this one fellow again. And it's like, Lord wants me to do this. And he's yeah. one of the people I'm supposed to pay attention yeah. to, even though it might not fit my narrow view of what I think I should be doing and how, how I should be making disciples. So that's where it's at for me, Tim. Yeah, self-awareness is important. So friends, uh, as we sort of land the plane on, on this uh, episode of Disciple Making, uh, for those of you who are in church leadership, uh, can I challenge you to give as much time to the people in your programs as the programs themselves? We spend so much time planning the program uh, but could we even just focus on one or two people and be in prayer and and uh, get into a relationship of mutual accountability? It can be in the little things, but that's how we grow. Because as we found out today, um, following Jesus is more than just knowledge sharing. Mm, amen. So well said, Tim. It's about hearing and responding and obeying. That's the Christian life. Thanks for joining us, folks. Look forward to having you join us again soon. God bless. And press on. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or ChristFollowerDNA.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.